We can't allow bad things to happen to our country. And bad, bad things are happening to us. Perhaps like never before, you'll be seeing what goes on and perhaps like never before. We are looked upon as not very smart. Ah, we are looked upon as not very smart. Ah, shit, we failed. Shit, shit, we failed. Hello, everyone. Welcome into episode 364 of Your Unfilter Program. I missed you. It's good to see you. Where have you been? I'm I'm just about back to 100%. Not quite. Just like the show. It's like uh, it's like it's 70%, maybe. Uh, we'll see if the voice holds out for this episode. But I wanted to get an episode out to you because I've had, had a few things on my mind. Uh, I've had some downtime, which has been really good to get some high-level processing. Took my trip to Montana where um, I got injured, and then after recovering from a rib injury, I got sick. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's the Rona. <laughs> um, the longer it lasts, the more it kind of starts to match up with the symptoms, I suppose. But it gave me an opportunity to just sort of sit back and observe the news, which is a very different, it's a different perspective on things than creating content and thinking about analysis constantly and sort of trying to tie all events together and link them. And and instead, just sort of passively observing the news, I think, is probably (laughs) the majority of people consume the news. And uh, it's really turned into like this, just this sort of shitty dishwater news, just sort of a dog's breakfast. It feels like mostly it's just a continuation of themes that the show touched on hundred times a year ago that are just now playing out like lab leak theory and some of the concerns around rushing the vaccine and the way the media handles Biden and his obvious decline, but yet the complete and total cover up. And all of that's just sort of playing out still. And it reminds me a lot of the Obama administration and just how the news cycle was during then. And the unfortunate thing is, is it's really, really just the it's the perfect news environment for just hammering an idea and then just relentlessly pushing that idea, regardless if it has any merits, just kind of unrelenting. And um, one of those that has really bothered me because it it's one of those like all the information's out there, man, but yet they still spin the story about how. The only real infections we're seeing now with COVID-19 are the unvaccinated. Now to the rapidly spreading COVID-19 Delta variant. Health officials are warning about a new spike in cases among young people and in communities of color. We got to brand everything now. You know, that way you, you, you listen because they think you're too stupid to just hear information. They have to give it all these stupid, catchy names like the Delta variant. And now now there's a Delta plus. Last month, the Delta variant accounted for just over two percent of covid cases in America. Now that number is up to 20 percent. We are learning of this spike just one day after the White House announced the U.S. will not reach its vaccination goal by the 4th of July. Dr. Anthony Fauci told CBS this morning he is not concerned about the U.S. missing that vaccination deadline. We've done extremely well, so we're going to probably by the 4th of July be, uh, I don't know, 67, 68 percent. That's really good. You know, the made up number that really has no one else verifying. The 70 percent aspirational goal by the 4th of July to get individuals 
with one single dose. To- yeah, by the way, it's one shot. It's not the full vax, which according to them, when they sort of just seem to be making these numbers up, uh, the one shot, according to Fauci, is only 33 percent effective against the Delta variant. So you got to get both shots to get 88 percent effectiveness. Get 70 percent of at least one dose was an aspirational goal, but it was never the end game. I mean- no, no, the end game is everyone. This Delta variant, though, is very, very concerning. It's super dangerous. It's crazy charged. It's got double the spikes. I think it's it's a very conservative, very independent community. And I think there's a lot of, obviously, misconceptions about the vaccine. We're- oh, you already knew where he was going before he said it because he said what? conservative. And so you knew it was going to be an anti-vaxxer piece. Trying to get out in front of that. Um, But we do have a lot of people who say, if if you're telling me to get it, I'm not doing it. You know, they're just kind of pushing back. So we're going to try to get out one-on-one. We've got to increase the vaccination rate in our community because we're seeing that direct correlation to the increased COVID vaccine or increased COVID activity and a low vaccination number. So we we have to get out and and change that stat. All right, let's, let's stop right here. And let's break this down just a little bit, because this is where this is where it's all gone wrong. I just can't. Everything this guy says is the problem. And it's it's why nobody trusts media and no why no why nobody trusts the institutions. It's the core problem. And it's all in this one beautiful package. Everything that's gone wrong with vaccine adoption and people believing what the CDC says can all be explained right here. So I'm going to back it up a little bit and we're going to do a breakdown. I think it's it's a very conservative, very independent community. Boom. Right there. Number one, that's a false stat. And number two, it it is immediately it is immediately polarizing. It's divisive in itself. And even let's just say it was true. And let's say it wasn't actually the black community that is the is the biggest leg in vaccine adoption. And let's just say it's white conservatives for a moment that are all going to church. And and sitting around each other. And I, I mean, I just don't buy it. Right. Of course. Of course, they have to make it about that. Just don't say it. Don't say it. Just say people with concerns. Number one. And that's not even the biggest problem with this. We're getting there. But it starts here. It's divisive right here. And I think there's a lot of obviously misconceptions about the vaccine. We're- misconceptions about the vaccine. This is one of the biggest issues I have with this guy. You see, the problem is, is that you're misinformed. And that you don't understand the reality of the vaccine. And you're an anti-vaxxer idiot who gets all of their news from Newsmax. And that's why you're not taking the vaccine. But let's stop here for a second. Let's, let's have a real talk about this. Is that the case? Or is it, and I've said this for a while now, you're talking past the issue. You're calling them misinformed. Meanwhile, they have concerns. See, there are real things to be concerned about when it comes to this vaccine. I'm not saying you shouldn't take the vaccine. I'm saying from day one, from from go, we should have just been honest about all of the risks involved. Hey, this thing was rushed to market. It does look like people are having some heart inflammation issues and having heart attacks. There could be some side effects, just like there's side effects to actually getting the real virus. And there can be long term side effects to getting the actual virus. I think we should have laid it all out there and we should have just said, Pragmatically speaking, from a whole of society standpoint, these set of risks with the vaccine are a better trade off than the set of risks with the actual virus. But instead, we pretend like it's all risk on the virus. It's all risk on the virus and no risk with the vaccine. And the people who are having side effects, well, that's just a few and small. 
I think it's it's a very conservative, very independent community, and I think there's a lot of obviously misconceptions about the vaccine. We're trying to get out in front of that, um, but we do have a lot of people who say, if you know, if you're telling me to get it, I'm not doing it. You know? No, it's because you're not actually speaking to the issue. This is the other problem. Well, the other side, you know, just because we're telling them to do it, they won't do it. Think about what kind of mindset the person who's saying that must have. It's almost kind of like a surrender. It's like, oh, well, they're kind of a lost cause. They're such idiots. You know, those independents and conservatives, they're such idiots. They're kind of a lost cause. They're not going to do it just because we told them to do it. So there's no hope there. So to get our numbers up, let's focus on getting the children vaccinated. We could even set up little vaccine tents at their schools. They're not going to say no. And if they're in California or Washington, we don't even have to get their parents' permission. We can really crank the numbers up then. Oh, dang it. School just got out. Shoot, just missed that one. It's 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 so unfair to the people who have concerns. No, they're just kind of pushing back. So we're going to try to get out one on one. We've got to increase the vaccination rate in our community because we're seeing that direct correlation to the increased covid vaccine or increased covid activity and a low vaccination number. So we we have to get out. And that right there is the cherry on top. You're seeing this everywhere. The only people getting sick are the unvaccinated now. And it makes sense. So when you see that headline, you go, yeah, surprise, surprise, <laughs> news at 11. <laughs> I see it all the time online. Oh, what a shock. Only the people that didn't get vaccinated are now in the hospital. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Funny how that works. Should have got vaccinated, anti-vaxxer Trump shithead. <laughs> it's incredible how intellectually dishonest people can be with themselves. Because we all also saw the reports that the CDC sent out an advisory saying if the person is vaccinated, then you'll lower the PCR screen way down. You turn that sensitivity down on that PCR screening. Now, why would that be? Why is that? Oh, it's the antibodies, Chris. Isn't that what we're supposed to be detecting in the first place? This is, this is one, of those, one of those dials that has driven me nuts. And it gets, it honestly gets me angry because it, it makes me not want to talk about this. It makes me not want to even do the show because it's an endless loop. We are stuck in a loop where we figure out something. Oh, the doctors are getting paid to mark the numbers as COVID. So it's maybe causing some increases. Oh my God. Did Chris just say that it's all a big scam? Oh, he's such an idiot. And it's just this loop over and over and over again. There's no, there's never any ground for middle rational conversation about this. If the CDC is screening people that have gotten the vaccine at any point, any point, even if it's nine months later, with a lower sensitivity rating, and they're cranking the PCR up for people that haven't got the vaccine, they're going to find something. And if you don't by now understand how the PCR test works, you just don't give a shit. And so you really shouldn't get involved in the discussion anyways. But they prey on that. They prey on the fact that people don't understand that the people who have gotten vaccinated are being tested at another sensitivity level than the people who have not been vaccinated. Is there a good rational reason? Yeah, maybe. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's going to produce different results. And that information and how does that affect things and that question, it's out there. It's widely spread information now. The Internet and the ability for people to communicate via different platforms has changed the game on this. That's the fundamental problem they're battling. I can be sitting in a hot tub in Montana next to some 65-year-old talking to some other person, and I'm hearing him just put it all out there. All of it. All the things. 
Everybody knows this information. What I'm telling you isn't something that I've just stumbled across. Lots of people are talking about this stuff, and that's a reality, and that is changing the way people view about things. And what that means is, is if officials want us to take them seriously, if medical professionals want us, want us to take their advice, and if they want to get this vaccine rolled out, they've actually just got to speak to the facts. And they have to stop with this narrative casting, this building of this idea, oh, that everything's great in vaccine land. We have to, and we should have done this from the very beginning. We should have been extremely honest about everything. With the masks, yeah, we're not really sure if paper masks do a lot, but A, we feel like it's probably better than nothing. It's going to maybe cut it down to some percentage that's significant. And there is a social bond you're creating. It's signaling to another human that we're in this together. I got you. I'm doing my part to protect you. That's why you wear the mask. Speak to the issue honestly. And speak to the concerns that people are raising. Because when you don't, that conversation takes off like wildfire on the internet and in alternative media outlets. While the mainstream outlets are only discussing this one version of the narrative they want to be true. And so what you have is people get this perception of, well, these people are talking about real things and real problems. And because those people in the mainstream media aren't talking about it, they're trying to create a narrative. It creates a dissonance in the audience. It creates a disconnect and people disbelieving things. And the problem is, and everyone knows it, is the U.S. is really dirty in this thing. All of it. We now have a much better understanding of perhaps how the NIH is connected to funding. We have a much better understanding of just how dirty and connected a lot of the individuals who are at the top of this thing are. And unless you see some action taken there, there will never be credibility in that leadership. A CDC advisory panel convened Wednesday to address pressing coronavirus vaccine concerns. Rare cases of heart inflammation in younger vaccinated individuals were front and center. Experts say there is a, quote, likely connection between the two. Still, they say that the benefits of those shots outweigh the risks. I, I kind of agree with that statement. And honestly, that is the most frank news report I have ever heard. Yeah, people are getting heart inflammation. Turns out that spike protein isn't just staying in the injection site. It's kind of going all over. It's going in your lip nodes. It's going in your heart. And it's going in your ovaries if you got them. And I, I, unless you just tell people that's the reality of it, they're going to be left to discover that on their own. And when people make those kind of discoveries, like I, I've talked to friends of mine who've moved to Washington where it's legal to smoke cannabis. And, you know, they try it. And they, they, you know, they are, their mind is blown. But what's, what is, what has shocked them, what has shifted their worldview, what has changed the way they see the situation forever, is that it wasn't this dramatic, horrible experience that D.A.R.E. and everyone has told them that cannabis was. It didn't gateway them into cocaine and heroin all of a sudden. It was, it was simple. And it was a pleasant experience. And it kind of goes counter to everything you hear growing up about this one particular thing. And if you can be lied to so much about that one thing, what else are they lying about? And it sounds silly and cliche if you've never experienced this moment. But if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Health officials are urging young people to get vaccinated as the more contagious Delta variant spreads in 49 states. Omar Villafranca is in Missouri, where cases are already on the rise. 
Tonight, the FDA is adding a warning to Pfizer and Moderna vaccines as the CDC advisory panel is confirming a link between the vaccines and rare cases of heart inflammation in teens and young adults. The CDC tracked more than 1,200 cases, most occurring after the second dose, more linked to Pfizer and the vast share in males aged 24 or younger. I woke up at 2 a.m., with chest pain. 16-year-old Noah Hires was rushed to the hospital just two days after receiving his second dose. I was terrified as we were driving there and Noah said, Mom, it's getting worse and um, these chest pains are really terrible. I was just praying. Symptoms of myocarditis include chest pains, heart palpitations, and shortness of breath. But a new CDC report estimates the vaccines could prevent 5,700 COVID cases among 12 to 17-year-old boys and as many as 215 hospitalizations. And while I'm just cherry picking of things I wish we could do differently, I would, I would love to have a honest and open, evolving discussion around two particular issues with this virus. Number one, uh, for somebody in that 16-year-old's age group and with his overall health profile, what is the higher risk, getting COVID or getting the vaccine? And mind you, I appreciate there's more to it than just that, like the fact that he could spread it to somebody who is vulnerable and things like that. I, I just, I would, li- I, would, I would just like to have that discussion just from a general risk profile standpoint. And then the other thing that I think would be a super valuable conversation to really have out there in the open is what is the additional benefits if I've already had coronavirus? if any, and if or, or from a risk standpoint, since I've already had COVID, this is all in theory, right? If I've already had COVID in theory, maybe it's not worth the additional risks of the vaccine if it, it's, it's only a very minor, uh, minor improvement. And I know right now there is some early science on, on that very topic. And right now there's also some studies underway about using, like say you get the Pfizer vaccine and then you go get the Moderna nine months later as a booster. Uh, however, however, uh, that has been rocking some of the people's worlds in that study. Uh, that's how the study actually was revealed is that somebody went and got their alternative manufacturer booster shot and got incredibly sick on their quote unquote third shot. So there's those, those conversations that unless we're having them, um, and I don't know, maybe conversation such a trite way to put it. Um, it needs to be an involving public discovery with all of the information out there without censorship. And we're just not in a society framework right now that supports such an initiative. That's clear. But that has to be the way this works. More information, not less information. And then the right people can discern, make up their mind, and then start disseminating that information. And then we have to have faith in our fellow human that they can interpret it correctly. And we have we have all of this momentum around assuming that the best way to correct people's misconception is just by hiding information from them. Well, if it's misinformation, that's the problem. We'll hide that misinformation, which is so obviously when you look at this breakdown, I'm giving you not the case. The true reality is, is we're not actually speaking to their issues. And so we're giving them power in doing so. And that is truly the mistake we're continuing to make. And I feel like we're making in all areas of our society right now, especially in the States, but everywhere in the world. And, and part of the conversation has to be our dirty hands in this. We have to have some accountability there. I think it's, it's likely the U.S. and maybe some other Western states have some accountability here. Clearly, China does. Obviously, China does. And the fact that we can even say the lab leak hypothesis and not get laughed at anymore and that Jon Stewart could go on Stephen Colbert and have an 11-minute segment about it is remarkable. And now that the CBS News is commenting that there's likely an association between mRNA vaccines 
and rare cases of heart inflammation, that, and, and putting warning labels on those vaccines, that is a move forward towards having an open discussion like we have never seen before. There are cracks in the surface here. It actually could happen, but we have to take it further. Dr. Fauci's organization oversaw funds given to the University of Pittsburgh, but some argue that may have granted experiments using lab rats and tissue from a aborted fetuses. We take a look at some of the potential connections. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the NIAID, recently came under fire for granting federal funds for research that reportedly involves aborted fetuses. According to Town Hall, Fauci's office gave the University of Pittsburgh 61 million of the 109 million dollars they received from the NIH for research. The research included attaching the scalps of aborted fetuses onto the backs of lab rats and mice. It was to study the human immune response to skin infections. The resulting study was published in September of last year. David DeLayden, pro-life activist and founder of the Center for Medical Progress, published an opinion piece in Newsweek detailing the potential conflict of interest between the University of Pittsburgh and Planned Parenthood Western Pennsylvania, or PPWP. That's because federal law requires that fetal researchers must be separated from the abortion process. If these allegations are true, that relationship would be against the law. He testified at Pennsylvania's House Health Committee's hearing on fetal experimentation earlier in May. In particular, the medical director at PPWP also runs the abortion training program at Pitt and is a vice chair on the Human Research Protection Office, which oversees research applications. In undercover videos taken by Daleiden, Planned Parenthood staff appear to reveal that they supply the university's tissue bank from the abortions they perform. The university has denied the accusations. They say there is no procurement relationship for tissue with Planned Parenthood. In an emailed statement to NTD, a university spokesman said the institution fully complies with federal and state regulations on fetal tissue research, and they say Daleiden's claims are not based in reality. They did not comment on their potential relationship with Planned Parenthood. Daleiden points out that most of this information is available from public sources. He urges the public and officials to take action against what he says is the human trafficking and the experimental use of aborted infants. This comes as the Biden administration recently reversed the Trump-era restrictions on fetal tissue research. And in May, the Senate narrowly rejected an amendment that would criminalize research that created chimeras, or human-animal hybrids. It proposed to bar the transfer of a human embryo to a non-human womb and vice versa. It was intended as a check on the NIH, which was planning to lift its moratorium on research using chimeras. The vote is part of a growing debate about the use of fetal tissue in scientific research. Mommy needs a joint. So I think we have to have a very frank conversation. I can't think of a better term, but we have to have um, better transparency on where we want science to take these things. And maybe there's a maybe I could maybe I'll you know I'll reflect on a, what I'm really trying to get at here because I can feel like I've got most of the idea, but not all of it yet. So I'll I'll, I'll spend more time thinking about this. But what I, what I'm feeling like is something that John Stewart actually said in that Colbert uh, interview. John Stewart said, scientists are going to take this as far as you let them. They're, they don't really know where to stop. That's the nature of science. Like, how do you get to warp drive and transporters unless scientists are willing to tear somebody apart molecule by molecule and reassemble them, right? And that's pretty gruesome if you think about it. So how do you get there unless science pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes? And of course, that's their job. And that's their living. It's their livelihood. It's their careers. So there has to be a check. And I don't think the current checks in place have worked. If, for a moment, if this pandemic 
was created by the United States and China working together in some form, maybe through an intermediary company to China. If the infections came from a lab in Wuhan, and you know the other thing that's just a, like a, a no-brainer with the lab infection is if you if you look at the lab leak hypothesis and you take away if you take away the idea that um, you know they were just doing gain of function research there to beginning just if you just like didn't even know that fact if you didn't know that they were working on coronaviruses there and you just looked at the data that shows the initial infections in Wuhan all spread along what we what we would call the subway line or a monorail here in Seattle, the infections follow the commuter's paths to and from the lab, the initial infections in Wuhan. I mean, that right there, that right there is like, hmm, let's take a look at that. All of these infections, all like, a, like, like little dots on a map, <laughs> all lead back to this lab. So we have to have some sort of check on this because I'm not anti-progress. You know, I want warp drives and transporters and I want super vaccines. But the reality is there's a lot of money in these vaccines, in these mRNA vaccines, because after COVID's moved on, the next the next job for these mRNA vaccines is HIV. They're already talking about a cure for HIV using mRNA. So this is a cash cow for them. This is going to be this is what's going to pay their bills for another hundred years, these mRNA vaccines. So there's a lot of pressure not to talk about this. China doesn't want to be responsible for laying this down on the world. Of course, the U.S. doesn't want to have any guilt in this connection either. But we have to have these conversations because if we're talking about combining humans and animals and doing all kinds of research and additional gain of function, there has to be some additional checks and balances than what's been there so far. You have to think. And you have to, I think, even if you're for the vaccine, if you've got your vaccine, you have to give space to others who don't necessarily feel like it's the best choice for them because they are really, truly stuck between a rock and a hard place. The Dark Horse podcast has done a great job discussing the nuances of this issue, just really tearing it apart molecule by molecule and really giving weight to each in particular issue. So I'm going to just play a small clip because I know some of you really don't like their style and their format because it's very low-key NPR. And uh, because they have said anti-vaccine things, even though they both are very pro-vaccine, they've said specific concerns about this current vaccine. Because of that, um, I lose people. In fact, every episode of Unfilter is losing audience right now because people don't want to hear this stuff. The election's over, and they, they don't want to hear that there's maybe more problems still. And the news media is just saying the same shit over and over and over again. So when I say something different, it's melting people's brains. But I want to play a little bit of this clip for you because I think what Bert does here, who is an evolutionary biologist, by the way, what I think Bert does a good job here is showing you why there's really no good choice for everyone and why we kind of need to leave space for everybody to make their mind up on their own, their body, their choice. You have seen what complex adaptive systems are like and how difficult it is to predict what is going to happen. And then you see, oh no, we've got a complex system within a complex system within a complex system. So yeah. to spell that out, you've got the population level, what are the dynamics of the virus and the immunity in the population? You've got the individual. Oh, my God, that's a biological complex system in which it is effectively going to be impossible to know what a novel phenomenon is going to do when introduced into that body. We have to find out empirically, and the duration over which we'd have to look is extremely long. And then, oh, my God, on top of that, you've got this thing is interacting with the immune system, mm -hmm. which is actually the one system in the body that literally evolves 
within the scale of weeks to months. And the point is that level of complexity interfacing with each other guarantees that there will be phenomena here you simply cannot predict, especially given mm -hmm. our very early stage of even understanding the way these things work. Yeah. So what are the chances that there's going to be uh, bad stuff? It's higher than you think. I, I don't want to say that. I yep. want to be a cheerleader for vaccines because we're so good at wielding them and we're so wise about uh, what kind of harm they're going to do, but I know we're not, right? Yep. So um, – Three complex systems, three complex adaptive systems layered on top of each other where one of them is the immune system and when it goes wrong, it's liable to be, to create an autoimmunity uh, or uh, a cancer or something like that. That's a lot of hazard. Yeah. In such a situation, we prefer tried and true. Yes. And mm -hmm. even then, even then, our point has Still not risky. been, don't do this. Our point is you've got competing bad situations. You've got mm -hmm. COVID on the one hand, which is worse than people think, and you've got the vaccines, which are less well understood than we are pretending. And right. um, those two things now, you know, this is the situation you don't want to be in where you have to make a decision that you know you don't have any good answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an understandable position. And I can't really hold people um, in contempt for that. I do feel like it's their body, their choice. I think there's also, as part of that, a social calculation that you have to make and you have to decide where your responsibility lies in there. But even that I feel like is a, um, an individual choice for most of us now before we wrap up on this, cause this whole thing has been really upsetting to me as I've sort of just watched back and felt like the real conversation. God, I got to find a different word for that. I hate no more. I got to ban that word for the rest of the episode, but the real discussion that has to be happening here is just getting talked right over. And I feel like this Delta variant is a, all of the hype around this Delta variant is a choice example of something that's happening right now that is emblematic of what's been happening the entire pandemic. As Jeff has said, our aspirational goal for July 4th was 70% of the adult population receiving at least one dose. But that is not the goal line, nor is it the end game. The end game is to go well beyond that, beyond July 4th, into the summer and beyond with the ultimate goal of crushing the outbreak completely in the United States. Now, what are one of the main obstacles for that? Obviously, it's under-vaccinated people and under-vaccinated regions of the country, particularly among the young. And as Jeff said, particularly among individuals, 18 to 26, although any age of an unvaccinated person is someone we need to get vaccinated as we concentrate on the younger. Next slide. If you take a look, for example, can I have the next slide, please? <laughs> I love virtual meetings. Uh, there are 16 states plus the District of Columbia have vaccinated greater than 70%. Four U.S. states have vaccinated less than 50. And so between them, you have 30 states between 50 and more than 70%. And those are the individuals that we need to concentrate on. But let's take a look at what the challenge is. Next slide. If you look at the growing threat of what we're all concerned about, the Delta variant, what do we know about that variant? What do we know about that variant? Well, here's an article from the BBC yesterday. Leading virologists have questioned the labeling of the Delta Plus variant of any real concern, saying there was no data yet to prove that the variant was more infectious or led to more severe disease compared to other variants. Quote, 
There is no data yet to support the variant of concern claims, says Dr. Kang, a a virologist and first Indian woman to be elected fellow of the Royal Society of London. Um, And then, as if it's new information, they go on, quote, you need biological and clinical information in order to consider whether it's truly a variant of concern, end quote. And then later, the BBC notes from a report yesterday, even with 166 examples of the Delta Plus shared with the GSAID, a global open sharing database that keeps track of these things, they, quote, don't have as much reason to believe that there is any more danger than the original variants. This is according to Dr. Jimmy Camel, a virologist at Louisiana State University of Health Sciences in Shiverport. How about that? The BBC yesterday. There's really no actual data that shows how dangerous the Delta variant is or the Delta Plus variant. But we're going to go ahead and turn that hype up anyways because it scares you a little bit. And people can see that's what's going on here. These things take time. The vaccine takes time. Studying the virus takes time. How it's going to evolve takes time. And it's it's intellectually dishonest to think and, and claim anything else. And people can see that. And that's why there's no trust. And with no trust, you have no adoption. But really, there's something that's bothering me even more, deeply even more, because I know what we're, we're struggling with right now with COVID and vaccine adoption. This will pass. We may have knock-on effects to the economy. There's gonna, things are going to be different forever. But this shall pass. However, I am worried about something that's so upsetting, I, I don't even really know how to talk about it in the show. And you all watched it with me on the live stream. What have we learned from our experience with international terrorism? In order to address that problem, arresting low-level operatives is merely a speed bump, not a roadblock. In order to really tackle terrorism, and this time domestically, you've got to attack and dismantle the, the, the command and control element of a terrorist group. That may mean people sitting in Congress right now. We are eating our own. We have taken our terrorism machine that we built on the back of lies of WMDs in Iraq and we are turning it against ourselves. We are seeing white supremacist boogeyman where they do not exist. The only person who died on the day at January 6th was a woman who was trying to get into the Capitol. I don't, I don't support what happened on January 6th. I think it's, it was disgraceful. But I'll be honest with you. In terms of scale, it, it doesn't seem any worse than a summer of burning buildings, killing children, hiding them in taco shops, taking over a, sec- a section of my city. Destroying a beautiful city like Portland, or at least downtown Portland. All of the violence and beatings. I mean, you can go online and you can see some of the worst human behavior you've ever seen. People walking up and just shooting people in a crowd. Beating guys with skateboards. Attacking journalists and beating them for trying to document it. I mean, months. Months of violence. But we don't consider that terrorism. People break into the Capitol as part of a political movement. And now we have to turn 
the world's most dangerous, most deadly military machinery against our own people? There has to be such an enormous justification for gutting the United States of America's Constitution. You have to have... We have to have so much more information. And what really bothers me is I want to come on here and I want to talk about the FBI's involvement in all of the past terrorism cases that we've seen. Even big ones recently, it's been discovered that the FBI has been involved, that they supply the the weaponry or they supply the transportation or the funding or even the idea. You know, like there's a recent story that they took advantage of a mentally handicapped individual and basically radicalized them. It's a, it's what the FBI is doing is entrapment. It's plain and simple, but they've managed to call it something else. It's like a proactive pre-crime terrorism program. And I, I think it's in, incredibly possible I think it's distinctly possible that the FBI was on the ground in January 6th as part of the protest crowd. And right now it's not getting a lot of attention like a lot of these things. It starts in the fringes, starts like maybe in the left or right conservative or, or real far progressives like your, you know, your Young Turks or your Jimmy Doors out there. Uh, or on the right, which is a little more institutionalized, your Tucker, your Tucker Carlson or your Hannity, unfortunately. Both of them, in a way prolong people's acceptance of an idea by covering it. It's funny, like they give it exposure, but they also cause people to shut down. And so they, they, they also do it harm. But it seems real possible that the FBI was involved in the January 6th groups. Round up sitting members, duly democratically elected members of Congress because they oppose the regime. Even Vladimir Putin's not doing that. And there's a former assistant director of the FBI calling for it on television and no one noticed. So we're rounding people up. How about rounding up the FBI operatives that rioted on January 6th? Why not identify the guy who shot Ashley Babbitt to death? This is crazy and we should resist it. Darren Beattie heads up Revolver News. We're glad to see him tonight. Darren, thanks so much for coming on. It sounds like, according to this, I have to say, remarkable piece that you just put up late last night, read it in bed at midnight, that the FBI was organizing the riots of January 6th. Well, yes, it certainly suggests that possibility. That, by the way, is not really suggested. It's more likely they infiltrated a couple of the groups, but Cucker takes it all the way, and that's part of also what hurts its adoption and credibility. And I'm hearing from people that this is the most important and the darkest investigative piece they've seen in years. But the American people deserve the truth about 1-6, not just for the sake of Ashley Babbitt, not just for the sake of the hundreds of people held in prison. Oh, we're calling it 1-6 now. I didn't, I didn't get the memo. I guess I, during my downtime, I missed that. So we got 9-11. Yeah, because you don't want to call it September 9th all the time, right? So yeah, 9-11, now we got 1-6. Unjustly as a violation of human rights. But for the sake of the 70 plus million people who are Trump supporters or just against the corrupt ruling class who have effectively been labeled de facto domestic extremists by our own government. And I believe the key that unlocks the truth to 1-6 is the following question. To what extent were the main militia groups imputed to the 1-6 so-called capital siege to what extent was there infiltration of those groups by undercover agents or informants? And to what extent 
When we see the unindicted co-conspirators who occupy senior positions in those groups, to what extent are those people being spared prosecution on account of a prior relationship with the federal government? Now, a lot of the reporting is pinned on this, uh, a good amount of the people arrested, like a, like a significant number of them have been unindicted and labeled as unindicted co-conspirators. It's kind of weird because they're, they're a co-conspirator, but yet they're not getting charged. Yeah. Those two questions create a thread. And when we pull that thread, the ugly truth of that event and perhaps even the country we live in will be exposed. I, I don't know if it's true, but I think it's absolutely a very solid question just based on the prior actions in history of the FBI and every other terrorism case that they've recently tried. It's you, every single one of them, all of them domestically, eventually end up having some FBI involvement. The ones that don't actually disappear sooner. Like I, I really still have no. I've seen no ties to that Christmas bomber um, that blew up his RV. That's just gone. No discussion about that. Not even like, like just citing it as an example of white supremacist bombing or something. Like I'm sure they could make some sort of connection there. They do everything else, but it's gone. It's weird. It's like they, that one wasn't on the grid. It wasn't on their map, and so it's just tucked away because that was that was really something unexpected, and that's what they're really scared of. I got, I got to ask, because it, it may answer one of the great mysteries, is this, I think there are 14,000 hours of unreleased video footage from that day the administration is hiding from us. Do you think this is why? I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, it's, it's extremely suspicious. Even going back to this so-called pipe bomber video, remember the pipe bomber, the Capitol pipe bomber? The FBI has been extremely suspicious in withholding evidence, video evidence that could help and identify this bomber, which pre presumably they want to do. But if you may, I'd like to make a general point. And it really, after seeing all this, you have to ask yourself, does the national security apparatus do anything but conspire against the American people? I'm led to conclude that we cannot have a democracy. Everything in our politics will be fake and performative until we bring the national security state, including the FBI, to heel. It's not a left issue. It's not a right issue. That's Every right. politician who cares about our country should demand a church committee 2.0. I completely agree. And the reality is, you look at their past performance, the, the NSA's way overreach that Edward Snowden exposed, the FBI's involvement with all of these previous terrorism cases, it's suspicious. Something ain't quite right there. And now they want more power and they want to turn that machine against the people. I do not like that. No, I do not. I would like your support, though, at patreon.com slash unfilter. The show is going to be intermittent for a little bit. I'm still stretching out how much I can use my voice. And because I have shows Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, by Wednesday, my voice is totally shot. That's why I'm recording this on a Thursday. Give it a day to recoup. Uh, and uh, I still have processing to do. Still some big thinking to do about the show, about altering the show's direction and format a bit to make it more adaptable, maybe make it a little more topical in terms of focusing in on one issue or uh, one or two issues and just dedicating the episode to that. Less current events and more higher level coverage. We'll see. I'm still kicking it all around, trying to figure it out. But the conversation goes on. Unfilter.show slash discord. 
And of course, over on the Unfilter site, you can find subscribe links so that way you just get new episodes when I put them out. You don't have to worry about it at all. You just get them automatically. So I'd love your support. Patreon.com slash unfilter. You can find the contact page at unfilter.show. One more cucker clip before we get out of here, because he's been really hitting this thing like a dog. Um, and then he kind of let off for a bit, but uh, he was trying to hit this hard. So I'm going to just play a little bit more of it, because I think each one of these segments in the show today represents kind of a milestone in terms of the conversation. Like one of the last episodes we had that I felt really stood up the test of time was I broke down Rand Paul's interaction with Fauci about the lab leak hypothesis that I think truly opened the door to that conversation. Damn it. I did it. I broke my rule. That truly opened the door to the media covering it. Everybody claims it was because of a Wall Street Journal report afterwards, but let's be real. It was absolutely that Rand versus Fauci conversation. Damn it! (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Now I'm going to work conversation in all the time. Oh, I did it again! (laughs) Oh, now I'm taking some sort of sick pleasure. (laughs) Okay, moving on. I won't say conversation. Oh, no! I. Oh, I, I really do. Jeez, I just really please myself sometimes. And speaking of January 6th, why are there still so many things, basic factual matters that we don't understand about that day? Why is the Biden administration preventing us from knowing? Why is the administration still hiding more than 10,000 hours of surveillance tape from the U.S. Capitol on January 6th? What could possibly be the reason for that? Even as they call for more openness, we need to get to the bottom of it. They could release those tapes today, but they're not. Why? We ought to be asking those questions urgently, because as the Attorney General reminded us today, a lot depends on the answers. And at least one news organization is asking that, Revolver News. It's a news site. It's turned out to be one of the last honest outlets on the Internet. You know what? I will try to find a link to that Revolver News piece that he's talking about, and uh, I will try to put it in the show notes so you can read their report. I don't find it as conclusive as old Cucker does there, but... uh I think you should have all the information, so I will try to put that as well as a bunch of other relevant links to this stuff at unfilter.show slash 364. And with that, I leave you with the Remix Bros remix of Kamala's trip to the root cause. Why not visit the border? Why not see what Americans are seeing? I think that uh, at some point she may go to the border. We'll see, but uh, we'll, we'll circle back. You have a message for would-be migrants. Don't come. Do not come. Put it in reverse. Do not come. She may go to the border. I will have to circle back on that one. Do not come. Do not come. I expect that sometimes she may go to the border. We'll start we have to understand that there's a reason people are arriving at our border. So how quickly does this change what we see at the border? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. There's not going to be a quick fix. I've been very clear from the beginning. What her focus has been, what the assignment is, is to work with leaders. She's doing exactly what the president asked her to do. It is insulting. It is embarrassing. Oh, you have a message for would-be migrants. Don't come. Do not come. Put it in reverse. Do not come. She may go to the border. I will have to circle back on that one. Do not come. Do not come. I expect that sometimes she may go to the border. We'll circle back. The reason that I'm in Guatemala is to address the reasons people leave home flee. They want to 
stay. They don't want to leave. We are going to the border. We've been to the border. This whole thing about the border. You haven't been to the border. And I haven't been to Europe. What her focus has been, what the assignment is, is to work with leaders. She's doing exactly what the president asked her to do. It is insulting. It is embarrassing. You have a message for would-be migrants. Don't come. Do not come. Put it in reverse. Do not come. She may go to the border. I will have to circle back on that one. Do not come. Do not come. I expect that sometimes she may go to the border. We'll circle back. I don't know what you tell the people that live at the southern border. I guess they better arm up and get guns and be ready. Maybe they're going to have to start taking matters into their own hands. It is bad all around. Don't come. Do not come. Put it in reverse. Do not come. She may go to the border. I will have to circle back. Mommy needs a joint.